Tell Me More podcast is being recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. This episode contains content that may be distressing to some listeners, including discussions around eating disorders, anxiety and self-harm. Please take care when listening. If you or someone you know is struggling with any of the topics discussed, please reach out to Lifeline 13 11 14. There are other resources for support in the show notes. Hello and welcome to Tell Me More. Today's guest is a natural storyteller with a knack for keeping it real. Ashira Paraskevis is a content creator who does not shy away from the unglamorous parts of life. Ash has been through what she refers to as multiple breakdowns, but she has come out on the other side and she is absolutely thriving. Ash generously shares her mental health struggles and self-love journey to inspire others, and I am sure that this conversation will do just that. My name is Olivia Molly Rogers, and I'm excited to get comfortable in the uncomfortable with you and remind you that nobody is perfect and everybody has something going on behind the scenes that you may not know about. I hope you enjoy the podcast. I'm so excited that you are here talking to me. I think you're amazing. And I've been following you for, what would it be? Maybe five, four or five years, I think. I know, Miss Universe Miss days, Universe. 2020. Was it 2020 or did you enter 2019 as well or just 2020? No, 2020. Okay. But then I dropped out. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, so that is how we met. Yeah. And I remember thinking this girl is amazing. And I said to the team, I was like, she's definitely one to watch. And then I heard that you dropped out and I was like, uh, Why? Like, she's amazing. What's happening? But there is a reason, which is a big part of your story. So I would love Mm. for you to tell me about that. Is this a podcast starting right now? Yeah, girl. Oh, okay. okay. (laughs) (laughs) Are we rolling into it? Oh, cool. Okay. Okay. So 2020, back in the day. What a year. I really discovered myself. Well, it started. No, I would say it's like the, the... beginning of allowing myself to be my authentic self and in 2020 it's when I did Miss World in 2019 Mm -hmm. and when I did Miss World I was doing it completely and only for external validation because I know in myself that I just had absolute zero confidence and zero self-belief and every single thing that fed me and my self-worth was from other people Mm -hmm. And I remember putting in like 110% and putting my worth and my value into how well I did in this competition. And what that did is it changed the way I viewed myself, the way I viewed other women. Instead of cheering other women on, I was like comparing myself to them. I was like, what does she have that I don't? I was very much like, pinning myself against other women and also bringing them down to make myself to make feel, feel better. better. Yeah. And I noticed that that environment brought that out on a lot of the women and I fully went into it. I didn't have any of my own original authentic self there. I was just trying to fill what I thought a pageant girl was and what I thought, you know, a hot woman was, a smart woman was, the ideal woman was. And what was that? What did that look like? It, if you look back at what I looked like then, you're like, who is that? 
it was yeah. a clone of every single beauty standard. I had different hair, so I had permanently straightened hair and it was very long, Victoria's Secret looking. I had an eating disorder and I was very, very skinny. But I would say that people would look at me being like, oh, that's the ideal body. So I had, you know, the perfect Victoria's Secret model body mixed with the Victoria's Secret hair. And I didn't want to be known as my full name because I thought that was too ethnic. I pretty much just wanted to be what I saw existed in that world and what I saw get validation, what I thought all the guys would like, what I thought all the you know, the media was showing me as perfect. And that's what I became. I molded myself. And did you also think that when you looked like that and you had all of those things that you thought everybody else wanted, that then you would be happy as well? Oh yeah. hundred percent. Especially when I was doing Miss World, I became that and I had no idea who I was outside of that. And then when I didn't win, I kind of went through a crisis because I was like, I don't know how to be more perfect. I don't know what I could have done different. Mm. Am I not good enough even when I'm trying to be perfect? And then I kind of was like, who am I? Who am I? I didn't win this competition and I put my identity and my worth into this like this identity that I was creating, into this mold that I like like this person that I molded myself into and I was like even when I'm perfect, I'm still not good enough. Yeah. And then I was like, who am I outside of this mold? And I remember booking a trip to my favorite place in Victoria, which is Lawn. Mm-hmm. And I stayed there for a whole week. And I was just really reflecting on the last few months where I was this person that I truly felt like I, to my core, wasn't aligned with me. And why I did that. And then when I was reflecting on that, I realized, you know, that there's so many parts of me that I've been hiding for years Mm. because I just never, ever, ever felt good enough. And ever since I was probably five, it started. And it was a lot to do with my ethnicity. It was a lot to do with where I came from and the domestic violence I lived in and the just never, ever feeling lovable in all aspects of my life that created this survival instinct in me to be like, I need a change in order to survive in this world and not just survive, but to be worthy of living and to be seen by other people as worthy of living. And it was from five years old that that started and it just got worse and worse. And then when I hit Miss World in 2019 and I didn't win, And I didn't get that extreme external validation saying to five-year-old Ash, we did it. We're finally lovable. We're finally worthy. We are finally a queen. We finally are accepted in this space Mm -hmm. of, you know, um, a white space as well, recognized as someone that Australia views as, you know. Good enough. Good enough. And when that didn't happen, I was like, well, damn. What do I do now? What do I do now? But then you entered Miss Universe. And then I entered Miss Universe. So at lawn, I did some reflection and I was like, why don't I love my hair? Why have I always straightened my hair? Why do I think Victoria's Secret hair is better than my hair? Mm. 
And why am I working out to the point where sometimes I can't walk? And why am I not eating my favorite food, which was burgers at the time? God, I love burgers. <laughs> Vegan burgers, why not? <laughs> and also, why am I eating animals when that for my whole life, I was six years old and I went vegetarian. And I know that so, like I remember that core memory so well because it was a moment where I was like, this is something that is not me. Mm. But because of what I was doing, I compromised that. Yeah. And then it was like this turning point of being like, okay, I'm going to listen to myself and I'm going to find my authentic self. And I st- And I did a big chop. Yeah, I remember when you cut your hair. I cut all my permanent straight hair off, my permanently straightened hair off, and I just went into my mini afro. And it was freeing. It was scary. It was like a shedding of all the expectations that I put on myself and society. Mm. I felt like society put on me as a woman of colour to try and um, integrate into Western culture And I shed that off and I was like, okay, I'm going to enter Miss Universe to reclaim my perception of my true beauty. So you were entering Miss Universe as your authentic self rather than what you had tried to do with Miss World. Exactly. And I thought I would like rewrite the story. Yeah. But then I realized that I also entered Miss Universe secretly deep down to validate that version of me, Mm. the more authentic version of me. So I was still secretly in my brain, even though I was like pretending that I was confident in this new version of me and that I was going to step into the same environment as an authentic version of me and prove to other women that you can be authentic. That was what I wanted to do. But in reality, I entered Miss Universe because I wanted that world to validate myself mm. and this journey because I was scared yeah. and I didn't feel it deep down that I was actually worthy in that form. So I entered Miss Universe for them to tell me that I'm also worthy as this Ashira too. Yeah. So even though I wanted to have those good intentions of a confident as a as a confident woman stepping in this world, stepping in the Miss Universe world and rewriting the script of I'm, I know I'm beautiful, I know I'm worthy and I'm showing up to show, you know, younger Ash that she can be in this space yeah. and be worthy and be confident and be, you know, Australian and be proud of that. Instead, I was entering the space wanting approval of, you know, the organisation and Australia and what that meant to validate me. Mm. Instead of the I other think way too, like you were obviously going through a lot. You were still living with an eating disorder. You can't just snap out of that and be yeah. like, I'm going to be confident now and I'm going to feel good about my body. Like that takes so much work and time and, you know, therapy and so many things to get past that. So I think it was very brave of you to want to do that. But obviously you weren't in the right headspace for it. Yeah. So Talk me through when you decided to pull out and then what happened after that? Yeah, so I decided to pull out. It was when the COVID stuff started happening. So the competition was getting a bit weird anyway because they didn't know where they were going or what was happening. And I shared online my big chop, which was like a photo of me 
in my Miss World days where I had the straight hair and I had the big lashes and the expectation of what I thought beauty was Mm. next to a photo of me with my big chop, natural, no makeup in my like more authentic self and it went viral back in the day. Yeah. Like that version of viral before reels. I can literally see it in my mind. (laughs) And I I was just like, this is amazing. It was so it was so powerful. It was. And I think that was the catalyst of a different path for me. Um and I was like, I need to work on building my confidence and finding my authentic voice outside of anyone else Mm -hmm. without the approval or seeking a validation from anyone else but myself. And this is a long, deep journey that has so many more layers than what I can achieve in a competition. And I'm not ready to be anyone's, you know, um, I guess, representative at this point in my life. And what the competition was doing to me was still sucking me into behaviors that were not aligned with my values. Mm -hmm. And that was comparing myself to other women, still wanting other women to be less than me so I win. And even though I was stepping into a more authentic self to me, instead of feeling empowered, I felt worse than and I was being critical. And I was still doing the toxic behaviors that I was doing in Miss World in that space, even though I looked different. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this is not bringing the best out of me, especially being a woman of color. There was only four other women of color, Maria, and I think um, two others, but they didn't make it to, they didn't um, make it to the next, the national finals. It was just me. Maria and Hanan, which was, she was, they were all beautiful. But as another woman of color in that competition, instead of wanting all of us to thrive, because that's who we're up against the three, you know, POC girls, I was viewing them as competition Mm. and being like- Thinking there's only space for one. Exactly. And I'm like, who is this? This Mm. is not what I want. This is not uplifting me. This is not who I want to be. It's like this this cognitive dissonance of like you can see what you want to be and what you believe in, but then what you're actually thinking and doing is so different. A hundred percent. And that like does not sit well with anyone. Exactly. And those environments do breed that. Yeah. They do breed comparison and they do breed there's only space for one. There's only space for one queen. And- you got to fight to the top. Mm-hmm. You got to like, is she better than me? Or what does she have that I don't? Or, you know, oh, did you hear that, you know, they're like this talking people down to make yourself feel better because you want to be number one. And I was like, I need to get out of that environment because mm-hmm. I am not confident enough in myself to be who I want to be in that environment. So there was that element for sure. And also wanting to work on my mental health. Yeah. Definitely. It's amazing that you were able to recognize that and, and you know, step away from the competition when you did. Yeah. And honestly, I – there was a point in time where recently I messaged Maria because in my mind Maria was this – she represented everything that – I wanted to be, but Mm. I wasn't. And she was someone that I mentally struggled with because I was, 
you know, comparing myself to her so much. And it did really affect me. It was like this little like mental game and she took so much space in my head. And there was so long where I wanted to see her do bad to make me feel better. Mm. And now my, from all the work I've done, I see her and I'm like, that's so amazing. It's so awesome. She's doing it and she's doing so well. And it's not just for her. It's for all of us. Yeah. And But I think also knowing that she can do well and you can do well and they don't take away from each other. Exactly. There is space for both of you. There is space for all of us. And if one person's up, it means everyone's up. And that change and shift in mindset is exactly why I've needed to work on myself in that aspect. And I don't think if I stayed in that competition, I would get there. And I'm so much lighter Mm. and so much more happy that, I am that person because that's aligned with who I always wanted to be. So, yeah, dropping out of Miss Universe was exactly what I needed to do, especially the bikini part. That was really getting me. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah, yeah. that was hard. It is. It's daunting. We. I had a very different journey. I think also age comes into it. Like how old are you now? I'm 26, turning 27 in a couple of weeks. <laughs> so how old were you when you did – Miss Universe Oof. then, or when you entered? Maths. Maths. Math. What are we, 2023, three years ago, you were 23. Girl maths. 23? Yeah. 22 when you did Miss World? Yes, yeah. I would say 22, 21, and then I was 23. Yeah. I had no idea who I was. I think it takes it, it takes a big chunk of your 20s to figure that out. Oh, yeah. And then you had a real, um, what do we call it, probably catalyst in, you know, growth in age and all sorts when you then really delved into looking after your mental health and yeah can you talk me through what happened so I feel like after you stepped away from Miss Universe and you said you wanted to work on your mental health it's almost like from an outsider's perspective once you started um you know reflecting on what you needed to work on it's like everything came out yeah like everything you had like squashed down yeah for so long and tried to hide it was just suddenly like it all resurfaced yeah it's like things I didn't even know existed resurfaced Mm. resurfaced it was like it wasn't even a surface it just formed a surface like it's like when you hold down like a ball an inflatable ball in the ocean or in the pool and you're just like holding it down and holding it down and holding it down and then eventually you're like I am exhausted I need to let go of this ball and it just goes flying up it's just a flying that was me And I was like, wow, I've really opened a can of worms here. Mm. And it was intense, but it needed to happen. And it got dark. Yeah. It got dark because I spent, you know, 22 years of my life avoiding and thinking I was thriving. But actually I look back and ever since I was five, I was struggling with mental illness. Wow. And I was in an environment which was domestic violence, that I was just like, ah, oh, it's normal. I'm fine. I'm fine. Everyone well, when experiences it, you that. You didn't know any different. Like if that's how you're growing up and that's your home life, you you don't know what a typical home life looks like. Exactly. And I think I did know because it came out in my like in my personality and in the way I was at the time compared to other people. But I just was like mm. Mm, mm. like I was like a ball was being 
I was holding the ball down. So had you not had any kind of mental health support throughout your childhood? No. Not at all? No. And my first serious mental health episode, I was five. Wow. And I had OCD. I still have OCD, intrusive thoughts, which manifested as like thinking I was going to turn into other people and thinking I was going to turn into a mermaid. So, wow. <laughs> but I love mermaids now. Same. But back then, oh, you, you were scared. It like, was oh. a fear. Like wow. I had a fear, like it was the worst thing that could happen. So mum couldn't afford a car, so we would get public transport everywhere. And I was five and every time I got on a bus, I had to do a certain routine and I had to say a chant because if I didn't, I would turn into the person behind me or I would turn into the person in front of me. And I used to think that I had to control the bus with my drink bottle. Otherwise we'd crash. There was so many like little OCD things that I had. And eventually it built up to the mermaid thing. And it got so bad that I couldn't shower. Um, I would only like, I'd use a towel on my body because that was the only way. It was a fear of water as well. Yeah. Because I was like, if I have water, I'm going to grow a tail and be a mermaid. Like it was, I had to sit with my legs a certain way. Did this like come from the little mermaids like something to do with no the movie? it came from around the twist oh yeah i watched an episode where this person in the around the twist turned into a mermaid and it just freaked me out and then my ocd brain grabbed onto it yeah because ocd usually people think like oh you're turning off lights or you're turning off light switches but it can be a whole different game it can be intrusive thoughts to the point of, you know, you think you're going to turn into something or you think the world's going to end if you don't like, I don't know, do some sort of routine or some sort of thing. Or if you step on a line, the reason why you don't want to step on the line is because something seriously bad's going to happen. So that's where my, my OCD came from. And the mermaid thing ruled my life. Like I would have to say certain things. I would have to sleep with a board in between my legs. Otherwise my tail was going to form. And I was, I was a five-year-old experiencing this. And it was so scary for me. And mum took me to a doctor and they were like, oh, she's just got a really like big imagination. Mm. And it's like this dismissal of that. And then also we didn't have access to the ability to pay for a psychologist. Like we went to a bulk build like GP and then you get so many sessions that after that mum's like, well, we have to pay for food. I worked at Macca's when I was 13 to be able to like help mum, you know, afford life. And she would be working all the time and I often had to look after myself anyway. So getting mental health help was just not a priority. Yeah. Even though it should have been, it wasn't. Like it was a lot of neglect in my childhood. And mum was a single mum. She was doing her absolute best with what she had. Also coming from domestic violence. But at the end of the day, like it did affect me. It affected my um my growth as a human in so many ways, even education wise. So I think Of course. Yeah. Yeah. It was a lot. So my mental health was very neglected and I was very neglected. Did anyone at school pick up on what was going on for you? Like any teachers? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I had a psychologist come into my school to help me um, when I was probably in year nine. But 
like I was going through an eating disorder and her way of helping me through this. From that age? Oh, yeah. I went through an eating disorder ever since I was like 10. And I started getting suicidal thoughts ever since I was seven. And my OCD episode happened when I was five. So ever since I was five, I've been struggling with serious mental illness. And I just thought that was normal. I thought everybody wanted to cross the road really slowly in hopes they get hit by a car. Oh, gosh. Like I just thought that was how people existed. And then I would make these jokes and other people would just be like, (laughs) not sure about that one. But it was definitely obvious to people that looked, but a lot of people didn't look. Yeah. And then the people that did look were like, "Mm, yeah, like, it's a lot. Probably just leave that one. You know, they're like. Or hoping that someone else was helping you deal with yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. I think mental health was very stigmatized in that way. Mm-hmm. But I also just thought that that was life. Yeah. But the psychologist way of helping me with an eating disorder was printing out photos of people that are in hospital dying of an eating disorder. And she like showed me these photos and she's like, do you want to be this? And I was like, that's what and then I, just, I mean you're like yeah. no but how you can't you can't scare me out of this thing <laughs> yeah and she, like I was like what and then I just never saw her again fair enough so, and then yeah I had one teacher because art was my outlet art and music was my outlet and often I would just be in the art room and there was one teacher an art teacher who got me through so much And my art was self-expression. And if you saw my art, it was dark. Like it was so dark. Do you still have some of that? I do. And I look back and I'm like, this is me screaming for help. Like the things that an 18 to 17 year old person, like drawing that, like, uh, -uh. like I needed help. I was screaming through that music, um, through that, um, art. But I ended up being like the ducks of fine art and I got a 50 and I got in, I was doing, I studied fine art um, at uni, but then I lost myself at uni. So that's a, that's a whole nother story. I feel like I've lived so many lives. I feel like you have too. I'm, I'm like, I'm like, <laughs> like I'm a phoenix. I'm literally a phoenix. Yeah. Um, But yeah. I can really relate to um what you're saying about doing really well like it's like you're struggling inside um I really struggled as a teen as well especially late teens um and I would throw myself into studies and then I thought by doing well at school and then at uni that I would it would make me happy but it was a different kind of external validation as well oh yeah and then I became so obsessed with getting good grades that I would like I was going insane studying. Mm. Like it was actually driving me crazy, but I couldn't not do it. Oh, yeah. So it sounds like maybe it's a sim- it was a similar thing for you. And I, I think when people are struggling with their mental health, it can go one of two ways where you either you actually can't study because you're struggling so much or it's your it's like a, a way of coping is like throwing everything into something that you kind of can control. Like I can control how much I study and I can control getting a good grade if I study enough. Yeah. So when you, you were at uni when you ended Miss Universe, right? So that's, oh, wow. Okay. (laughs) I feel like so much happened at that, like this, this was such a pivotal time. 
which is why I keep coming back to it. Oh, yeah, for sure. You have to, like, I have a brain that goes, like, all different places. So you have (laughs) to control. You're like, Ash, okay, back to dot point one. Because otherwise I'm like. I want to hear it all. Um, Yeah, so (laughs) my education story. So, you know, when you're in primary school Mm -hmm. and you have, like, you're learning to read and you go to the library and then you have a your primary school teacher doing like book time and you go out and you like read with her and then you go home and you're meant to continue reading and developing your literacy skills because there's only so much you can do in school. Mm. So I was like in grade one and prep and I would obviously read with the teacher and then when I was at home I had no one to read with because mum was working and then she'd be exhausted and she'd yeah. just kind of do her thing so when I didn't actually know how to read until I was in probably year three year four and my learning capacity was always like five years behind because I had no one to go through my times tables with I had no one reading me books at home I had no one teaching me how to read so there was only so much I could do on my own outside of school I was always like the dyslexic kid. I was always like the kid that was ignored because they weren't going to be anything. And then there was a point in high school where I was like, this is not what I want. I am capable. I've got this. And then as soon as I hit year 12, I put all my worth into studying and I, I proved everyone wrong. I was like, I can prove you all wrong. Mm. I am smart. I am worthy. I'm getting into uni. I'm the first person. I'm going to be the first person in my family to go to uni. And I did. I got a 96 ATAR and I got into uni. That's and amazing. I was like, I'm going to run far away from everybody. And I went to Monash and I was like a Northside kid um, back when Northside was the ghetto not now north side is like so gentrified and i'm like mum's like cheap as house that has no doors on the bathroom and cracks everywhere is now like in a million dollar house and i'm like oh yeah <laughs> i won the lottery thank you all the hipsters and their coffee shops <laughs> but back in the day it was not like that like at yeah. all um and then i went all the way to the southeast and I was like this is a whole world and I went to study fine art and arts double degree and then I hit this world of like private school kids with pools in their backyard and I was like whoa and I felt like scum because I was this like artsy never shopped at like a first hand shop like came from a mom that couldn't afford much and then I'm in this world of like private school kids that came from like schools that I didn't even know and lived in like Turak which was like a whole nother world and I was just like I felt like a museum like people would come up to me and be like oh my god you have piercings oh my god you wear these shoes called Doc Martens and oh my god you have tattoos and you're only 18 because that's what I grew up with like Mm. I grew up getting piercings and tattoos and and being that like being that stereotype of Northgate pretty much because that's what I was yeah. um, because that's what it was. And I remember just being poked at and looked at and like this kind of crazy exhibition in this like private school white environment. And then there was a point where instead of being proud of it, I was like, nah. And I became them 
and I dropped out of fine art and I went into business and I was like, I have never had an interest in business, but I know that business is where these people, people what these people respect do, me. Yeah. people respect me, people think I'm smart and I'll be like these people from Turak. And then I was like, actually, no, I'm going to be better than these people from Turak. I'm going to study law. And then I went to study law at Monash. I did an undergrad of law at Monash and I put every single piece of worth I had in being the best law student and the like, and then getting into the best law firm and being rich and, and being partner and wearing Ralph Lauren. And I became this archetype of this is what I had to be in order mm. to be loved by these people and in order to be successful. And I lost myself again. And then during that time at law school, I was putting so much worth in my scores. I was putting so much worth in being this ultimate law student. And in law school, you can't control how well you do, no matter mm. how much you study. So I would get like a 70 or I'd get a 60 and I would literally go into crisis. So like if I wasn't doing like 80 or above, I would like my, I, my world would crash. And there was only so much of that that was sustainable mm. that I got to year three and I burnt out. My mental health and my mental illness was just like I had enough. And was that in 2020? So that was in 2019. Okay. I took a hiatus, like I took a time off yeah. um, law school and I was like, I'm going to work on my mental health. But then, typical me, I jump into a pageant that I saw was advertised on Instagram mm. and that's when I did Miss World. And then I put the exact same pressure on myself at law school into Miss World mm -hmm. and then that festered even more stuff. And then it was 2020 where I had the ultimate breakdown well, the first of many. <laughs> Episode one. Episode one breakdown. Um, and I then entered Miss Universe and then I had the second breakdown, which was like I need to drop out of Miss Universe because I don't like what's going on here. And that's when I started social media mm -hmm. and then I dropped out of um, law school and I started this just like who am I outside of being the archetype Miss World and Miss Universe, outside of being the perfect law student, outside of being skinny and, and all that kind of stuff, outside of being trying to be white, like who am I? Like who is Ash? Because I've never had the space, never had the environment that's allowed me to see that because mm. I was constantly in survival mode. I was constantly just trying to live and that I never had the space as a kid to be like, I can explore, yeah. I can play, I can find out who I am, I can love who I am because I never had, you know, parents being like, I love you. Yeah. Be free, be you, explore, whoever you are, I will love you. And I never had that. So I spent my whole life searching, finding struggling and and being in fight or flight trying to be who I thought I was or who I thought I had to be in order to get that validation I never got as a kid yeah so then I was like who am I outside of that and um that's when the journey started and there was a couple more breakdowns in that journey but then now I'm here now you're here and I'm the happiest chilled out person 
honestly I could ever be. I You're, am so happy. You, knowing you through that period and like I, had, I didn't know you well, but I would, we'd see each other every now and then at, at different events and your energy is completely different. You you were almost like this like little bird. Like when I would see you, you sort of would look around. Like you always seemed just on edge. Um, and I know it took a lot for you to to attend those things. And and you would talk about that on socials. Can you talk about what your what you call your breakdown or breakdowns? What they what they looked like for you? How did they how did they present? Yeah. So. Obviously, the ball bursted and it flew out of the ocean. <laughs> I love that metaphor. Yeah, it's really good. Did you just come up with that today? Yeah. That well, good. no, actually, I learned that in, in my in inpatient therapy. program because okay. um, I went to hospital. That will come. That's coming. Don't worry. We're getting there. We're getting there. Whew. We've already got through chapter one, chapter two, chapter probably two, on to chapter three now. Yep. <laughs> um, so when the ball flew, I forgot what I was saying. When the ball flew. How did your your breakdown present? Oh, yes. So we are in COVID. So we're in lockdown and there was just no escape in lockdown. You were sitting with your thoughts and your feelings mm-hmm. and your emotions. So when I did that post Miss Universe, it was just like, oh, there's a lot of things here that I've been running from. And I was still living with my mum. And it was like 24-7 with my mom that I ended up getting my partner, Charlie, literal heaven-sent angel, who's played the biggest role in my life ever to this day. Like he, when I think of him, he's like, it's weird, but he's like my parent, he's my family, he's my like guardian angel. Like he showed me unconditional love for the first time in my entire life and that's amazing yeah very lucky but he came and lived with me with my mum because I didn't feel safe enough and okay enough to live in the house just with her mm-hmm. so we lived there for a couple of weeks and then he had to leave because he was like it's too much for me like I'm going yeah. my mental health is declining so then from there I was in and out of my car during like mid 2020 because I would just it was just so toxic I just couldn't be home sometimes so I'd be like in my car for maybe a couple of days and then be like okay I need to go back to the house and like I can't keep being in my car and then I'd be like no I need to go back into my car and it was this back and forth of feeling just homeless well technically being homeless too but um that I finally got access to my super which was the best. And I had $8,000 in my super and I was like, I can move out. I'm going to move out. And it was, I was really lucky that Charlie, even though he came from an amazing family and had a, had a safe place to live was like, I'm going to support you and I'll move out with you, even though he didn't need to. Yeah. And we got a place together that I still live in. And it was that place and being around Charlie, a safe person and that environment of like safety that allowed me to pull, like shed my guard and to realize that I'm safe to process. Mm -hmm. And that's when everything doubled and came out to the surface. And that's when I learned that I really grew up in domestic violence because when you see 
the way you survived in a previous household in a safe environment, you realize just how many coping mechanisms and coping strategies you have developed that are toxic. Mm that's based on the way you used to survive. It's like when you take a polar bear out of the ice ice pole, North Pole, and you put them in like, I don't know, um, isn't it crazy that Iceland's actually green and Greenland's actually it ice? Is. It's so funny. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm like, why? Why do we have to do that as humans? Like, come on. And you take a you take a polar bear and you take them out of the North Pole and you put them in Iceland. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> They're going to be like, what's going on here? Because all their like ways of surviving in turbulence isn't needed Yeah, because they're on vacation there and they're going to eventually be like, whoa, and still act the same even though mm. they don't need to. And that was me in my safe like place in like a place in this beautiful suburb that I never thought I would live in. And I was in this safe place but I was living the way I was living in the most toxic, you know, um, volatile environment. And I was like, wow. And it was a reality check. And then I, so many other patterns came up. Alcoholism came up as a coping mechanism to avoid the things were coming, the things that were coming up and, um, being, having to sit with my thoughts and my eating disorder and realizing the patterns of eating and comfort eating mixed with restriction and and not having the distraction of the gym because I was like I was numbing through food and through alcohol and doing all these toxic behaviors I did at the house and seeing them in a safe environment I was like whoa this is there's so much I need to deal with here Mm -hmm. that I guess my mental illness became instead of like a functional mental illness, a completely non-functional, all-consuming mental illness where I couldn't get out of bed, I couldn't function on a day-to-day basis and anxiety started to manifest times 100 and my BPD, which is what I got diagnosed very late in life. Borderline personality disorder. Yeah, borderline personality disorder was like was in tenfold, which was always there, but I had no idea what it was. Mm. People just thought it was, you know, depression, anxiety and an eating disorder, but no one said it was BPD because BPD is like the main thing and everything else kind of stemmed from there. And that went crazy and I had no idea. And then um, it completely consumed my life. And it got so bad where I was in crisis As you can probably tell, Ash and I had a lot to talk about, so we have split this episode into two parts. In part two, Ash shares more about what helped her the most on her mental health journey, so make sure you tune into that when it drops in the coming days. Here's a little preview of part two. I would be depressed in bed, not being able to get up, struggling with alcoholism, and then I would get a delivery from a brand and I'd be like, okay, I have to dress up nice and take my photos. I remember posting a job that I was doing for a brand and it got like 200 likes. Mm. And I was like, oh my God. And I had like probably 50,000 followers at the time. And I was like, I'm unlovable. No one wants me. And that was the first um, serious suicide attempt 
because of that post. Wow. You can find Ash on Instagram at Ash and on TikTok at Ash.Paraskevis. Thanks for listening to Tell Me More. This show wouldn't be possible without you. If you'd like to show your support, please subscribe or follow the podcast on your favorite platforms. And don't forget, you can watch full episodes on YouTube and Spotify.